Jesus said these words, These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the comforter, now so let's just catch this, let's slow down again. Jesus said, as he's meeting with his disciples, just days before his betrayal, subsequent trial, and his death on the cross, his burial and resurrection. And he's preparing his disciples for the events that are forthcoming. That's the context of John 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 and 17. In essence, it's the Apostle John capturing many of the words of Jesus that he would share with his disciples. And, and he said, these things I'm speaking to you right now. I'm present with you. But how many of you have ever heard some things that you've walked away and you kind of you forget you forget what, what you just heard? You, 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 you go back in your mind and you're trying to recapture. Jesus promises something. He said, I'm saying these things to you right now. He said, and, and you may think that you're going to forget this. He said, but the Comforter, which is the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So John is also the one, when he closed this gospel, and I've alluded to this uh, about three times now, that he said, Jesus said and did many more things than the record that you and I have, a lot more. And he said, that, but what is captured is captured so that we can read it and believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So you have to think that it was many years that had passed from the time that Jesus sat with these disciples and shared with them his doctrine that they would actually later put pen to paper to begin to capture those words. It took a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit to go back in time and awaken everything that had been sown in their heart and mind and to allow them to put it down in paper in the form of a parable or a teaching or to follow something that Jesus may have done. It was miraculous. Right? The Word of God is miraculous, divinely inspired. Again, Peter said, we have not followed cunningly devised fables. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So here the reference is to the coming of the Holy Spirit. I'd shared with Shane in confidence over the next few weeks that I was going to be leading into a series on the Holy Spirit. Leading into it. I was going to take it even a different angle than I, that I arrived at here today. But I've arrived here kind of as a lead into this particular series because my attention is drawn to the fact that Jesus said a lot of things to his disciples that was later captured in the Gospels and subsequently also the epistles that you and I need to hear. Peter said, stir up your pure mind by way of remembrance. You say, Pastor, these are familiar things. I don't care how familiar they are to you. God can make them new this morning. Now, I believe that the Word of God is a sharp two-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joint and moral, and as a discerner of the thought and the intent of the heart. I don't believe all preaching should be comfortable. I don't believe all preaching should be passive. I'm preaching better already than y'all shout. I'm just telling you today. I believe that there is an element of preaching that is designed by God to be confrontational. That God cares and loves us enough to get down in our business a little bit. 
to confront the dark areas of our life, to empower us to address these things. And the image that has been portrayed in our culture of Jesus is that Jesus was passive, that Jesus was non-aggressive, non-assertive, that Jesus just overlooked things. That, that he just, he didn't, uh, you know, true love, true love will address you at the point of your life and the point of the issues that might be in your life. I'm telling you, it's a, it's a, it's a pretense when people can't speak directly to you in your life that love you. If people love you, they will speak the truth to you in love. Amen? Jesus did that. Does that make sense? So what we're going to go in today on the soapbox, today is called... I was telling this to Sister Sherry. She thought it was a national holiday. Soapbox Sunday is what today is. Soapbox Sunday from the words of Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we have set our hearts together as a congregation to grasp, Father, the truths that Jesus has shared in his teachings that have been regathered by his disciples and his apostles. Here we are today, Father setting our hearts to be reminded of these things, asking for great clarification, asking for direction, asking for the breath of God. Father, we are dependent upon the anointing. I echo the same prayer, my Father, today in this auditorium as I echoed yesterday in the woods behind my house. God, the people, the people need an anointed word. The people deserve an anointed word, God. And I just pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that what I have to say today is not born of contention, it's not born of the flesh, but it is the quickened Word of God, and that it will fall on good ground, Father, prepared beforehand. So God, whether it's a member of this assembly that has been here for 50 years, or whether it's, a, a Father, a visitor that walked through the doors of this church for the very first time, I'm praying for the Spirit of God to just have great liberty in our hearts and minds. The Father, we'll receive what you have to say to us today. It's in Jesus' name and all God's children said, Amen and Amen and Amen. Thank you so much. And you can be seated in the presence of the Lord and I appreciate your reverence to the Word of God. Again, through the teachings of Jesus in the Gospels of the 14th, the 15th, and the 16th chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus does teach us about the coming of the Holy Spirit, about the work that he would accomplish. And it's varied. The works that I do shall you do also, and greater works than these, because I go unto my Father. An empowerment. Oftentimes when we think about the Holy Spirit, we think of endowment, or in, that they're endowed with power. We're endued with power. We're, we're filled with the Holy Spirit to do great exploits. But here Jesus is saying that when the Holy Spirit has come, he will bring things to remembrance, things that I've spoken to you perhaps casually, some things that he taught his disciples, perhaps seated uh, around a table where they had fellowship together, perhaps walking down the road, perhaps it was when they were crossing the Galilean Sea. He shared so many things with his disciples that he said it will take the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit to go back in your memory and extract them and bring them to the place that you can capture them on pen because they're not just for those 12 disciples. They're for all men everywhere the Word of God and the words that Christ had to say. 
And so, as we see Jesus' teachings recorded by these gospel writers, we understand that this work is preserved by the Holy Spirit. The apostle Peter said, holy men of old were moved upon by the Holy Ghost. We believe that the word is divinely inspired. The Holy Spirit inspired this word. We also believe that it's not just the gospels, but we also believe that the epistles that have been given to us are also the inspired words of Christ. They may have flown through the or they may have flowed through the pen of an apostle such as the apostle Paul primarily, but these are still the inspired words of Christ. Just because they're not in red in your Bible doesn't mean that it's still not the words of Jesus. He's the word, right? From Genesis to Revelation, he's the word. So whether I'm reading in the book of Ephesians or whether I'm reading John chapter number 14, it's the words of Jesus. And I want to receive those words. I want to receive the Word. I, I, I value what the Word does in my life as the Holy Spirit illuminates truth to me. The Word of God produces a change in my heart and life. It brings about, if I can say this, a reformation. It moves in my heart. It's a living entity, and it allows me to confront the areas of my life that need to be confronted through the Word of God. And I just believe in my heart of hearts that you and I, even in the church, need to be reminded of some of Jesus' teaching and some of his ministry today. Jesus' ministry wasn't all about healing the sick or casting out devils or performing miracles or walking on the water. His ministry was about teaching the Word of God. There were actual times in Jesus' ministry when he did not heal anybody. He just simply sat in a, a particular location or stood and he taught the people. And when he had completed his, his teaching, he sent them away. No blind eyes being opened, no bread being broken and multitude being fed. No dead person coming out of, the, out of the tomb. Just simply teaching the word of God. Thank God for his word today. The word of God today will saturate your heart. It can produce a change in you until it brings about a reformation in your life and you no longer are the person that you used to be by the power of the living Word of God as the Holy Spirit reveals it to you in your heart and life. So I wanted to go back for just a moment and I wanted to try to connect with just a few things that I believe are very important for you and I as believers that Jesus taught us through His teaching in His generation and just see if what He taught in His generation is still relevant to us in our generation today. And I'm going to go somewhere today, perhaps that you're not even seeing right now where I'm about to go. But did you know that Jesus warned us through his teaching of the lifestyles of the wealthy that have a distorted pursuit of wealth, fame, and glory? And say, Pastor Brown, why are you uh, even addressing this in our culture? Two reasons. Number one, the American culture is way out of control. The American dream has become far more than perhaps what our founding fathers and even a couple of generations beyond them dreamed. It's become a distorted pursuit of wealth until you measure who you are by the resources that you have accumulated. And let me tell you, that's a distortion in the eyes of God. We even have a measure of that in the church. I believe in prosperity. I'm not against teaching and preaching prosperity. I believe in the book of 3 John that says, Beloved, I pray above 
above all things that you may as prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. But let me tell you, if you are weighing your value before God based upon your job, the amount of resources that you have or you possess or the car that you drive or the home that you live in or the clothes that you wear, you have been blinded by the distortion of our culture. I'm just being honest with you today, and let me tell you, it's getting worse and worse as the American culture begins to go deeper and deeper into this inordinate affection for lust or, or for, for the things of this world. The scripture tells us that Jesus exhorted us in his teachings on the parable of the soils. He said this, the lust for other things would come in and choke the word till it becomes unfruitful. He addressed this as through the teaching of the parable of the soils. And he warned us of three things in that particular parable. He warned us of the deceitfulness of riches. He warned us of the lust for other things. And he warned us of the cares of this world. We're in the generation in the church today where nobody wants to hear preaching about that. We always just want to hear something that makes us feel good. Props us up on a pedestal and tells us that we can go out and get all that our soul desires. But let me tell you, Jesus loved you enough to tell you you can run out after all that and still find yourself empty and needing a divine work of God's grace in your heart and life. How about these words Jesus said? Beware of covetousness. Where's that in the sermon series that appears on TBN? Beware of covetousness. A man came to Jesus one day and he said, Lord, I want you to tell my brother to divide my inheritance with me. Divide it. And Jesus said, who made me an arbitrator or a judge for you? Who made me the go-between? And then he said these words, Luke chapter 12, beware of covetousness because a man's life does not consist of the abundance of the things that he possesses. Jesus then taught a parable. He said there was a rich man that said these words. The rich man had been prosperous in his sowing in the field and harvesting and he began to build barns and he filled this barn to completion. And when he had more harvest than that barn could, t- could contain, he filled another one up and he filled another one up and then he said to himself, Jesus' own words, remember, Jesus, non-assertive, passive Jesus as the world wants us to see him. He said, Jesus said, but he said, he said, soul, this is what this man said, soul, Take thine ease. Take thine ease. Eat and drink. This is enough for many years. But Jesus said, but God said to that man, thou fool tonight, thy soul shall be required of thee. And then where shall all those things that you have accumulated? Aren't we as believers supposed to hold on to things lightly in our generation? Aren't we to not love the things of the world? Because the Bible says that if we love the things of the world, the love of the Father is not in us. Listen, I know in the generation that we live in today, we want everybody to have certain measure of things. And again, I know that God is not, again, matter of fact, Jesus himself said, fear not, little flock, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He said, if you'll just seek the Father and his righteousness, God will take care of all your need. Come on, you'll not go without. God said, consider the lily of the field. It does not toil, it doesn't spin. But I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like unto him. Consider the fowl of the air. He doesn't build his own nest or barn. He said, but God provides for him. How much more will God take care of us? Isn't it time that we stop allowing this wicked, distorted American culture to begin to create such a lust and a pull in our own lives till we are selling ourselves out 
We are selling out our relationships with our family. We are selling out our children just so that we can possess something that's here today and gone tomorrow. That's why Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasure on this side of eternity where the rust and the moth, the rust can corrupt it and the moth can eat it up, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where nothing can penetrate it and rob from you that eternal weight of God's glory that God has for us. Why am I on my soapbox about this today? Because I see the images that are created in our mind today by the secular world that are especially targeting our young adults and our teenagers to pull us into an inordinate affection for the things of this world. And we got to guard ourselves from those things. Listen, if you say, Pastor Brown, I have to buy all my clothes at Dollar General. Thank God you got a dollar to go to Dollar General and buy your clothes. It doesn't matter whether you buy them from the fanciest uh, place in America or you buy them from Walmart. They're all going to fade away one day anyhow. The fad's going to change and what was in today is going to be out tomorrow. So just be comfortable in the blessing that God has upon your life. Glory to God. That's good preaching for a... I don't know what I am anymore. I want to say a young guy like me, but that's just not truthful anymore. I don't even want to say a middle-aged man that looks so young. Hmm. Does this make sense today for just a few moments? I, I'm on my soapbox. I'm just getting there. I'm just, this is the warm-up for just a moment. Turn to the, the, the true text that I want you to see today. Mark chapter 8, it's verses 34 through 38. I want us to read this together. I want to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say to our life, your life, my life today. Through the teachings of Jesus. Does that make sense today? The teachings of Jesus. When he had called, 34th verse, the 8th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples, he said to them, Whosoever will come after me, Four words. I want you to read it. Think on it. Four words. Following whosoever will come after. That's five, but it's the next four words what I'm talking about. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world? Are y'all reading with me today? And lose his own soul. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? 38th verse. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I'm going to be honest today with you. I am, I am, I'm very deeply thankful to be an American today. And I'm not throwing stones in essence at our country and I'm not, I'm not somebody that bashes the United States of America. I value the freedoms and the principles upon which our nation stands or has stood. I can't say is standing, but has stood previously. 
I'm a veteran of nine years of the United States military. I uphold and pray and undergird all these things. But I want to say this today. The American culture is wicked and out of control. I'm just being honest with you. And we can say things all, all, you know, well, American is a Christian nation. No, it's not. We are an immoral, unholy nation whose hearts are after all the things that the world has. And you and I have to be strong to be a light in the midst of darkness. Listen, God never intended, in essence, for the Statue of Liberty to hold the light to the lost. God intended the church to hold the light out to the lost, right? That they can find true salvation and deliverance. Jesus, in his teaching, he loves you and I enough to warn us. He doesn't just pacify us, and he comes to us. And the, 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 when, in this particular passage, he called not just his disciples, but he called the others to him, the people gathered around him. And he said, look, if you're going to follow me, there's something you're going to have to do. You're going to have to do things my way. Don't go around telling me what to do, preacher. I'm telling you, if you're going to follow Christ... You're going to have to do things his way. You can't walk around with an arrogant, proudful spirit and be what God has called you to be and be who God's called you to be. You're going to have to humble yourself and come broken before God. That's what Jesus said. He said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to do the first thing. You've got to deny yourself. Up until the time when you made your decision that you're going to follow Christ, it was always about you. It cannot be always about you any longer. It's got to be about him. In the words of John the Baptist, John said, he must increase and I must decrease. Jesus said, you've got to deny yourself, not always gratify your fleshly appetites, and you've got to come and follow me. You've got to take up your cross, take up my calling, the thing that I've called you to do, and you've got to walk humbly before the Lord and follow me wherever I lead you. There you've got to be willing to go. That's the cost of being a disciple. The word disciple means a follower. We have a, a generation today of church attenders. People just go to church and there's no conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. If you're not conforming to the image of Jesus, then most likely you are not born again. You are a hypocrite. You are masquerading before God and before the church. You don't even know him. If you stood before him today, he would say, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never even knew you. Because if you truly know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is a conformation to the will and the image and the person of God in your life. And I didn't come to pacify anybody today. I didn't come to play the religious games. I know that in the American church today, we think that you can't preach judgment. I believe in preaching judgment and mercy. I believe in both. I believe that God wants us to teach both elements of it. That the judgment of God fell upon Christ on the cross, but for every man that rejects the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that judgment will fall again. And Jesus warned the wicked and adulterous generation of his uh, time frame, and he said, if your heart doesn't turn and conform to mine, he said, then you won't be acceptable at the time of my coming. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? Listen, and I'm not, a neg- I'm not a negative person, but I'll tell you what, I just see some things that are going on in the, in, the, in the world in which we live. And let me tell you, here's what I want to talk to you about. I got four areas I'm going to touch on that men and women in the church, in the church needs to deny themselves of in this wicked, adulterous culture that we live in today. And the reason why, this is my platform today. This is my moment. Because the world has a platform that they're screaming at all of us and it affects every one of us 24-7. 
that you better hear me today very carefully, quickly today. Four things. First and foremost, hear this today. You better become much more discerning in the area of entertainment than where we are right now. Are y'all hearing me today? The entertainment today is not what it was 50 years ago, 40 years ago, when Andy and Barney and Opie and Aunt B were coming into your living room. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Listen, today it's wicked, perverse, distorted, sexual. Come on. At every level, it's available 24 hours a day. You can watch it on your iPhone, your iPad, in your office, going to church, going home after work, sitting up all hours of the night. Our minds are being filled with filth. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? I'm just telling you that Jesus, in his teaching, confronted us about a lifestyle and lifestyle choices. And one of the things that we as Christian Americans better learn to guard our families, our homes, and ourselves from is this wicked entertainment-based society that we live in today. You better start. Listen, I'm talking about more than just a filter on your television. You can put a filter on your television, but if there's no filter on your heart, and your own consciousness to make the right decisions. I get grieved about mom and dad a lot of times because mom and dad will say uh, to Johnny and Susie, you can't watch this, and they wait for you to go to bed at 8 o'clock. Johnny and Susie go to bed so they can sit up and watch the same distorted show that they wouldn't allow their children to watch. Listen, we've got such hypocrisy even in the church. Entertainers have shaped our culture more than any other entity. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? Let me say that again because y'all must be bored already. I must not be entertaining enough to you today. Entertainers have shaped our culture more than any other entity today. You ask nine out of ten high school students or or, or grade school students, what do they want to be like when they grow up or who do they want to be like? It's not going to be about uh, somebody. It's not going to be about a pastor. It's not going to be about somebody that's, that's leading a business. It's going to be about, I want to be like this entertainer. I want to be like that sports star or I want to have this or that. It's a distorted mindset that is in our culture today and it's just as deeply woven into the convictions of the church. I got a couple questions. Where are our convictions? Where is the distinction in our life and our lifestyle as of the world? It's so blended in today's culture that you can't even distinguish between who is truly genuinely born again and who is not. I believe that in your life there comes a moment when you've said, God, I'm going to follow Jesus. When I follow Jesus, I've got to deny myself. That means I can't go always to the places that I used to go to. You ain't got no business down at the VFW. Come on, I'm just telling you, you ain't got no business down at the Electric Cowboy. You ain't got any business doing the things and listening to the things that you used to listen to that fill your mind with filth and lust until there is such a, a, a pagan activity into your heart life and you are no longer sensitive to the things of, this, of the Spirit of God. Now, I love you enough to tell you the truth. The Holy Spirit within us is our compass, and we've got to learn to listen to Him. But when we have fed our flesh so long, our flesh will cry out so loud until we silence the Holy Spirit and feed only that graving, that, that, that great appetite of a carnal activity in our hearts and minds. I'm just preaching honest to you today. Listen, we're in the generation today when witchcraft of all depths comes permeating into our homes and minds. And minds as we watch things, things that people used to have to go and pay to see, to hear, they sit at home right now available to them in their own 
homes. It's a dangerous world. Does what you watch, read, or listen to create lust and sinful thoughts in your heart and mind? Hmm? Don't answer that out loud, but you need to answer it internally. The apostle Peter warned to those of his generation. Remember, Peter would have been one that heard what Jesus said. And later when he's writing his epistle, he's writing his epistle, he's writing in the shadow of what he's heard Jesus say. Let me read to you just quickly today. Just, there's just four points, just four things that I want you to hear today that I believe that God is prompting my spirit to challenge. I don't know who I'm preaching to today. I don't know if it's the whole church as a whole or if it's just one or two people. I got more of an inclination that it's all of us, even those that look so pious right now. I'm just being honest with you, but the apostle Peter said these words. He says, as, he says For as much as Christ has suffered for you in the flesh... You should arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Now listen, in times past, here's what he said, in times past your life allowed you to work the will. I'm paraphrasing King James English. The, to work the will of the Gentiles. When you walked in lasciviousness or lust, that, that's, that's a, that is a, a debauchery is what that means. It's lust and excess of wine and revelings and banquetings and abominable idolatries. He said, but now they sh should think it strange that you won't go where you used to go. You won't do what you used to do. Why? Because now you have a conviction that's born of the Holy Spirit. There's no good in it. 2 Corinthians 7 says, come out from among them. Amen. Our spiritual forefathers in Pentecostalism warned us of the effects of yielding our life to the wicked culture in which we live. And we find ourselves today so engrossed and so ingrained. And we wonder why the miracles that we used to see in the spirit-filled movement, we're not seeing as much today. Why? Could it be because we're so tainted? We are unwilling to live separate. Oh, Jesus. Number two today. Let me go a little bit further. I'm thankful today, and I heard the Holy Spirit quicken in my hearts, in my heart of hearts. You need to hear this, whether you like it or not. And if this church, you say, Pastor Brown, I don't come to this church, because, listen, it's my belief as the pastor of this fellowship for 10 years, it's my belief that the Word of God should confront us in areas of our life. And we should hear and receive it. I don't believe in, in badgering people constantly and battering them over and over every time they come to church. But I do believe in taking the principles of the Scripture and having enough courage to say, I need to hear that because the Holy Spirit wants me to hear that. Let me tell you today about a couple of things that you better guard yourself of because it is, it, it's happening, and I'm going to just be honest with you. And you say, Pastor, you don't preach a lot like that. No, I don't all the time, but there are some times, and today just happens to be, look it up on your calendar, Soapbox Sunday. All right? The dangers of social drinking. It's a dangerous thing. In my personal belief, there's no good in it. I'm just being honest. I found no good in it. I have been with men and women in the ups and downs of life, and I've seen them trapped in the vice 
of, of, of alcoholism, but it's even beyond alcoholism. It's drug addiction. This is the culture in which we live. Satan has passed and masqueraded until so many good men and women fall prey to it. Good men and women, people that we love and care about, and it's affected every one of our families. There's not a single family in here today that this distorted culture of both drinking and drug addiction has gripped our families. And I say enough is enough in the name of Jesus because we have fallen prey to a trap of the devil. We need to say in the name of Jesus, I can be free. I don't have to put that in my vein. I don't have to snort that, and I don't have to drink that. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I can get up every day in the morning, and I don't have to recover from a hangover. Come on, somebody. I can go to work with joy and hope and peace and grace because I'm drinking new wine. Come on, I'm drinking something. The world, this old song from the 80s said, the world didn't give it to me and the world can't take it away. I've got a joy that is unspeakable and it's full of glory. And if you want it, you can have it. Come to him and drink and he will satisfy all of your longings. Glory to God. You may have an addiction under the sound of my voice today. I want you to know I believe with all of my heart that the power of the name of Jesus Christ and the atoning blood that he shed on the cross of Calvary can break every chain, can break every addiction that he came to set you free. I don't believe crystal meth is greater than the name of Jesus. I don't believe cocaine is the name is greater than the name of Jesus. I don't believe coarse beer is greater than the name of Jesus. I believe the name of Jesus can liberate you and set you free and break that bondage off your life and you can walk out of this church today with a freedom and a peace and a grace and a joy that you never have had if you will just but come to Jesus. Don't you believe that today? Hallelujah. I believe that with all of my heart. You got to get it in your heart and mind by going to the Word of God. Did you know that Jesus warned us? He warned us of drunkenness. It desensitizes us to the to the things of God. It puts us in compromising positions. And I want to challenge you and I want to encourage you in the name of Jesus. Deny your flesh. Deny. You can make that argument all day, and you can say, "Well, under the law, I could do this," and you know, all things are expedient. You can make that argument all day, and at the very end of the day, there's still no good in it. There's no good in, in, in submitting and surrendering your life to something that is so damaging. Can I say it again? There's no good in it. And there's no good in bringing that into your life that can be so damaging and the leftover effect that it leaves upon your family. So I'm saying to you that Jesus, you go back and you read his teachings. He confronted these things in his teaching. I want to encourage you today. I've done this before. I'll do it one more time today. I believe that we got to guard ourselves from this wicked, distorted culture in the area of our clothing. You say, man, Pastor Brown, now you done become a clothesline preacher. And you're so old. I'm not an old-fashioned person, but I'm just simply saying this. The culture that we live today is crazy. It is C-R-A-Z-Y. Crazy. Out of control, distorted. It is, you, you don't have to, you don't even have, well, Jesus, I better just. Listen, the Bible teaches us modesty. Come on, you, go to the word of God. You say, I want to be a believer. Then deny yourself and follow him. Just because you can, does that mean you should? It warns us of a costly array. It warns us of the attire of a harlot. 
I want to exhort you in the name of Jesus. I, I believe with all my heart the Holy Spirit wants to move in the church to the degree until we dress more conservatively. I believe that. I believe that because we've just fallen prey. So, Pastor, it don't matter. I could come to God any way that I want to. And it does. That's exactly right. You come, but he ain't going to leave you that way. If you listen to the Holy Spirit, you're going to understand modesty is a work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will work that in your heart and life. And if you are always rejecting the spirit of modesty, you're rejecting the spirit of God. You're quenching the spirit while you gratify the, the, the desires of your flesh. You're giving in to a pagan mindset. Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit, you're saying, get thee behind me, Satan, and you're reading it, saying it to God. Because the Holy Spirit produces that in our heart and life. We say, Father, I want to be fruitful unto God. I want who I am and what I am to represent you in every area of my life. I want people to never have to, to feel awkward around me. Does that make sense? I don't want people to have to feel uncomfortable around me. Listen, I know that if, uh, listen, I, I know this body right here. If I didn't clothe it this way, I, I just, I know I have to. Dwayne, I have to. Are y'all with me today? Come on, I'm Pastor Brown. Do you have to do this? Yes, I do. I'm a father with six beautiful children. Come on, your parents, what's facing what they see on the television screen? creates a model or an image that creates distortion in the minds of people. Perversions in the minds of people. Remember the sermon that I did preach? I preached almost the whole sermon about this one time. Oddly enough, I've been preaching for a long, long time. I don't preach about this about once every 10 years. But today I must be 10 years too late then. Let me get back on the soapbox. It does matter. It does matter to God. If you're maturing in your faith and you want that to be affected in every area of your life and you want to be able to represent him and his kingdom and the world's image is not the image that God has for you. And you've got to be discerning enough to see the difference. I don't walk around in this church family in days gone by measuring how people... Dri- Listen, I just love you enough to preach the word and leave it to the convictions of your own, ho- of your own spirit, right? Number four today, lastly, Daryl, join me on the platform if you would this morning. This is a tough one today to talk about, but it's important. Pastor Brown, you're talking about you went into a series on the Holy Spirit through the teachings of Jesus, and you arrived in lifestyle choices again. Well, let's, let's regather that for just a moment. Let's think on that. The Holy Spirit draws the teachings of Jesus as it relates to lifestyle choices. Is that true or not? You've been reading the Word of God for a long time. Is that true? Do the the teachings of Jesus, red letter edition, did Jesus address the lifestyle choices of his his, his listening audience? I believe that he did. I read the Gospels. I I believe that everything that that I've said to you, that either he or one of the apostles who remembered what he said captured his words and have written them to us to help us to walk holy in this life. Does that make sense at all? It's a tough one right here, but I'm going to touch on it today in closing. You've got to deny yourself sexual sin. Sexual sin. Did you know that Jesus openly warned men and women of fornication and adultery? 
He warned people. Now you say, well, Pastor, the only thing that we ever hear preached about Jesus is they brought a woman to him who was caught in adultery and they laid her at his feet. And he challenged those that had the stones in their hand that were going to stone her because the Mosaic law demanded that she should be stoned. Has everybody heard that preached in our generation? And we focus all of our, our, our emphasis on this right here. Jesus, you know what he did, stood up, stooped down, wrote in the dirt, stood up. He that is without sin, let him do what? Cast the first stone. Right? That's what we know. For whatever reason, the church of today's generation wants to leave it right there. Don't judge us and don't judge others. That's not where the story ended. Everybody left. They dropped their rocks. They didn't throw the rocks at her. She's right down. She's humiliated and she's broken. She's wounded and she's laying at the feet of Jesus. The religious leaders were around her ready to stone her. And Jesus, in his compassion, he didn't even address the issue as it related to the law. That he had the right to do so, but he didn't. He just simply said, he that is without sin among you, throw the first stone at her. That's what he said. So then they just drop their rocks as the conviction of the Holy Spirit, knowing they've got sin in their life, and they walk away. Jesus asked her, it's recorded in John 8, you can read it later. He said, woman, where are thine accusers? Has no man condemned thee? She said, no, Lord. He said these words, then neither do I, but go. Hello? Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. The apostles wrote exclusively in all the New Testament epistles concerning that you and I have to guard ourselves from sexual sin. 1 Corinthians 6 teaches us the effect of sexual sin. You're sinning against your own body. Let me tell you today, this is something that I, 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 I face the challenge of this as a pastor <coughs> so often. We are the live together generation trial runs like a car test drive it for a few days before you decide whether or not you want to get listen that's distorted lifestyle choices affected by the culture in which we live I'm just being honest with you I love you enough to tell you the truth the live in generation it's a wicked lifestyle choice in the sight of God I can't paint it any other way I can't pat it on the back and pat you on the back and say all is well. No, the Bible says if you're committing sexual sin, you are sinning against your own body and you will reap a bitter harvest because of it. The living, the live together generation has affected even the church. Did you know at any time, at any time, at any Sunday service, even in our church, in our church there can be multiple couples that are living together that are even active in church. Now you say, Pastor Brown, you shouldn't even preach like that because you may offend them. If my preaching offends you to the degree that you get aggravated and angry at God until you just want to walk away, well then you go to another church where they will pat you on the back all the way till you split eternity in a devil's hell. But if you want to hear the gospel truth, he said, if you want to follow me, you got to deny yourself. I know you want to be sexually active prior to marriage. I know it's a craving desire of the flesh. But deny yourself until you stand here at the front of this church and you make your vows man to woman and we, we bless your marriage in the name of Jesus and then you can go and you can have all the sexual activity that you want to. 
Hello, somebody. It's a crazy lifestyle and world that we live in. And the problem is, is that we have made it, we've made the church that when you want to address anything like this at all, you're outdated, old-fashioned, beat me up, you made me feel bad. You know, the Bible says godly sorrow worketh repentance. If you go to a church and there's no conviction in that church, I'm going to warn you in the name of Jesus, there's no conviction because there's no anointing. And if there's no anointing, the Spirit of God's not there and you don't need to be there. Religion will be the first thing that takes you to hell because you'll feel good about yourself and you'll be away from God, not even know Him. And so I want our church to be a church that we unashamed unashamed and I am believing and recognizing I, I, something has shifted inside of me in just the last few weeks and that is I tell you what we're going to have to be more confrontational in the days in which we live because this distorted this distorted culture has got you know what they have their platform 24-7 I get you 1.5 hours once a week to influence you it's hard isn't it Every, it's out of balance. It's, it's way out of balance. So I went into a series. I, every now and then I just like to tell you how I think as a pastor. Now I know myself well. My staff guys, Jojo and Shane and these guys that, that, and my family knows me well. I'm not a critical person. I don't go around. I, I don't, but I'm grieved. I'm grieved. The culture is grieving my heart today because I have I don't have six kids anymore I have six young adults and I see that 24-7 they're being it's just being blasted at them do this do that do this do that it'll make you feel good you can do whatever you want then I then I see what's the what should be the the, the counter opposite to that it should be the church the church should be warning us Jesus warned didn't he he warned. He did. The church. But then we see some churches that have become so plain and so, so lifeless that you can't have anything spoken that's deemed negative. We've got to be politically correct. We can't address social issues. We can't address lifestyle choices lest we offend somebody. But, you know, the true love of God loves you enough to offend you. And if you're offended, the error's on your part. I believe that what I've shared to you is the Word of God today. The simplistic Word of God. That if you just read it, hear it, and obey it, then you learn to deny yourself. That's what Jesus said. Deny yourself. Just because you want it don't mean you should have it. Just because it feels good doesn't mean it's good for you. Right? Just because others around you are doing it doesn't mean you should. Does that make sense today? Y'all know I'm closed and there's nothing left. Just because people around you are doing it doesn't mean you should. I'm telling you, you can walk alone. You can be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. You don't have to do what others are doing. You can deny yourself, deny your fleshly appetites, take your cross up and follow Jesus. You can be sold out to Him. Let me tell you, God doesn't keep any good thing back from His children. He doesn't. He will meet your need at any level. He will bless you. Bless every area of your life. I believe that with all my heart, don't you? We conform our lives to the purpose of Jesus Christ. So Jesus said this. He called his generation a wicked and an adulterous generation. 
Did he not? Is that what we read? Mark 8, last verse, 38th verse. What did he say? Wicked, adulterous. Is that what he said? What would he say about our generation? Hello? What, what would he say? What would you, in comparison, listen, our generation is equally as wicked and adulterous. And I believe we need to hear the words of Jesus. We need to deny our flesh, take up his cross and follow him. Our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning in the presence of God. Pastor Brown, you haven't told me any story to make me feel good. I know, I'm sorry. I didn't tell you a poem with three points and a, a, a little happy ending. I didn't do that. I'm sorry. I didn't quote from a famous author. I didn't read from somebody else's book. I just simply expounded upon the teachings of Jesus. That's all I did. As if he were here in the flesh. See, he could not be here in the flesh. And he sent me as his ambassador to challenge the people that I love with all of my heart, my family included and myself included, to guard ourselves from this wicked world and lifestyle that are being lifestyles <coughs> that is affecting our choices today. So right here we are today at the end of the service, the end of the preaching. Where does it go from here? Where does it go? I've got a couple quick questions for you today in closing today. First of all, is it that important? It is that important. It is. Search the scriptures, you'll discover that it is. See, Satan attempted to even tempt Jesus with the lust of this world. He took him up on a mountain and he showed him all the glories of this world, all the fame, all the wealth, all the riches, all the sexual activity, all the drinking, all the things that could gratify his flesh and said, I'll give all this to you if you'll just but follow me. That's his plot. That's his scheme to distract us from the true way of hope and redemption until we sell ourselves out to gratify our own fleshly desires. And so here's Jesus coming and saying this to those that were gathered at his feet that day. He said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to need to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. If there any, is there anyone under the sound of my voice today that says, Pastor Brown, today, I want to make a decision. I want to make a decision in this room right here today that I'm going to deny myself who I used to be, what I used to do, where I used to go, and I'm going to take up my cross and I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow him today. Is there anybody on the sound of my voice that says, Pastor, I want to pray a prayer with you today where I commit my heart and my life and all that I am to Jesus Christ. Is there anyone at all today? If you are, slip your hand up. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Three hands. Anyone else today? Come on. I'm going to follow.